one mic, one voice. You can change the world, it's your choice. One mic, one voice. You can change the world, it's your choice. One mic, one voice. You can change the world, it's your choice. One mic, one voice. Welcome to the One Mic, One Voice show, Building the Collective Conscience, a show that is created to give space where your voice, ideas, and informed opinions can be heard, appreciated, and debated. I am Michael Eric Owen. And I am DT alongside of my good friend, Michael Eric Owens. Mike, you've been taking voice lessons? Man, you know, I'm just trying to... sound a little bit more smoothly (laughs) each week, like Michael Eric Owen. The smooth jazz (laughs) sound. Yeah, man. Hey, booking, booking. You know, hey, um, we we had a great time this past week, man, getting together. Yeah. Oh, man, it was beautiful. Uh, went to the mansion. Who lives in the mansion? You live in the mansion. I went to the mansion, sat back and <laughs> relaxed and and uh, watched. Man, what that TV's got to be like 100 inch, man. I think it's like a 25 nah, inch. No, bro, that TV was so big, <laughs> man. They, they were big as me. <laughs> but man, hey, it's always a joy hanging out with you, man. Having some some nice cigars and kind of relaxing. Richard, and, where, uh, where was where was Richard at? Man, I invited him. He didn't show up. Nah, he said, man, he don't he don't he don't hang with folks like us, man. Rich, let me tell you about studio. the cigars that Mike brought over this time, right? I mean, first of all, the package was gold. <laughs> I mean, it came in a golden package. You remember, you remember <laughs> the Willy Wonka? I got a golden ticket. It was like that. I was like, wow, Mike, <laughs> Mike brought two cigars wrapped in gold, bro. <laughs> right. I mean, the finest of, of, of tobaccos the wrapped of the in. finest. <laughs> maybe next time, though. Maybe next time. <laughs> right, but, right. Hey, yeah, man, like you said, it was, it was fun. Always good to have you by the house. Um, hung out with Lacey. Got some behind the scenes footage oh, yeah, for yeah, our, our yeah. trailer that we got coming Absolutely. out. Absolutely. We got a nice trailer coming out that uh, is going to give you more insight into uh, the creation of the show, uh, kind of what we do behind the scenes. You get and, a chance uh, to see that 25-inch TV. Oh, too, yeah. No, 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 no. I, <laughs> I don't even think that could even fit into the camera lens. It was so big. <laughs> but, uh, man, we have a exciting show today, a tremendous show today. Uh, our title of our show is The True Face of Poverty. And the reason why, folks, and and we hope you're logged in to uh, our uh, Spreaker account, um, and we want you to participate in this conversation because we see poverty everywhere. You can't drive without seeing people with, with work for food signs or uh, trying to um, – you know, share their difficult situations, um, pull the heart screens, so to speak, to uh, get you to support them. And even look from our from our food kitchens to, uh, you know, some of the homeless shelters. And so we're going to be talking about some of those numbers today. But, you know, we have this health care debate going on in our country about whether health care is a right or whether it's a privilege this idea of having access to healthcare, DT, uh, not really having it. You know, you can have access to anything, but if you but you can't afford it, uh, then it does not um, benefit you. So I think it's, it's I think it's a timely conversation for us to have. We want to dig deep into this thing called poverty, right? So, but first, but first, 
Get your seatbelt on. <laughs> I mean, buckle it. Hey, hey, you know, we're going to get some music. We're going to get some crash music here. Uh, wait, here in a, wait, 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 Mike, wait. I mean, we've kind of upgraded ourselves a little bit each week trying to, you know, get ourselves on down the road. Exactly. I mean, we can bring our protective headgear. You know, we can wear our seatbelts. But we got to stay in the car. We can't crash. Yeah, we can't crash. <laughs> <laughs> but, folks, we're going to do 45-ing down the road. Buckle up. <laughs> Check this out, folks. Look how much African-American communities have suffered under Democratic control. To those I say the following. What do you have to lose by trying something new like Trump? What do you have to lose? I say it again, what do you have to lose? Look, what do you have to lose? You're living in poverty, your schools are no good, you have no jobs, 58% of your youth is unemployed. What the hell do you have to lose? And at the end of four years, I guarantee you, that I will get over 95% of the African-American vote. I promise you. Okay, um, DT. Um, what in the hell was <laughs> I talking about, first of all? <laughs> That's wicked. Man, uh, what do you have to lose? Try 45. Mm-hmm. He said, what do you have to lose? Trying something new like Trump. Mm. He almost packaged it like a, like some type of a clearance item, <laughs> <laughs> like a clearance item. I mean, that's what I would compare it to. You're living in poverty. Uh, your schools are no good. Just take it. Fifty-eight percent of youth unemployed. You know, there was a time when youth, okay, uh, your job was to go to school, mm-hmm. and you weren't allowed to work. My parents wouldn't even let me work until I had really got way up in high school and uh, the finish line was there. It wasn't even time to work. But but this idea of uh, the youth being unemployed, what do you have to lose? Folks, the reason why we play that is because there's a way to talk about poverty Mm -hmm. and there's a way not to, right? We can politicize it. We can use the rhetoric of the day to discuss it. But historically, historically, Man, we've looked at poverty through a skewed lens. Um, You know, from the beginning, blacks and minorities are believed to be inherently lazy. Lazy. Check check this out, Mike. Environmental determinism has been widely criticized as a tool to legitimize colonialism, racism, and imperialism in Africa, North America, South America, and Asia. Environmental determinism enabled geographers to scientifically justify the supremacy of white Europeans— races and the naturalness of imperialism the scholarship bolstered religious justifications and in some cases superseded them during the late 19th century Mm. many writers including this 
Thomas Jefferson. Not my man. Oh man, this uh the one of the founding fathers, the one we hail in such high esteem, supported and legitimized African colonialism by arguing that tropical climates made people uncivilized. Oh, how dare you be basking up under the sun of the day? You're uncivilized because you live in a tropical tree. You know, Jefferson went on to argue that tropical climates encourage laziness. We're back at that word, DT. Laziness, relaxed attitude, promiscuity, and generally degenerative societies. While the frequent uh, uh, variability in the weather of the middle and northern latitudes led to stronger work ethics and civilized societies. And get this. Adolf Hitler also made use of this theory to extol the supremacy of the Nordic race. Hmm. Interesting. Environmental determinism. So in other words. Yeah. Based on your geographical location, there are some characteristics uh, that are uh, natural. So. So. Exactly. So. So Jefferson said (laughs) that uh, because of that geographical location, made you uncivilized right it made you lazy uh relax uh also made you very kind of irresponsible mm. right um you know black people just you know promiscuous you know all over the mm. place right but what about that slavery thing though what about that slavery who who did work doing slavery mm. did well, white people do work doing slavery Nah, I don't think so. I don't think they picked cotton. I don't think they worked at the tobacco fields, right? How can you call a group of people? This is what's so funny to me. How can you call a group of people that that you built the uh, built the yeah. country on their backs lazy? How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> I mean, you've done all the work, Mike. You come into work every day, been on time, worked hard. But I'm lazy. Yeah, you're lazy. I'm lazy. Why couldn't you do more? <laughs> Why could I do more? <laughs> is that the best you could do? Exactly right. I mean, your, right. your back is broken, but is that it? Exactly. I mean, do you have anything else to offer? <laughs> right. And, and you know, listen. This is this, and and I mean, we we laugh about it, but but this this sort of scholarship, which use like this author talks about, to build an empire to mm-hmm. justify. Right. Uh, A group of people, the superiority of one group of people over the other. Now, you might say, well, okay, that was back then. Okay, we're going to find out in today's show that that draconian way of looking at poverty has not died, DT. What I think is funny as as we're mapping this out um, is to keep keep notice of the way that uh, the people who are you know, in power, so to speak, mm. or the wealthy are, are able to control the narrative of poverty mm. and able to control the way we even talk about um, what poverty is and what it looks like for people who are actually living it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as we continue this conversation, that will be the kind of outlier of, of how we're, we're even introducing information to you. And as historically, we've seen uh, others do to people who are impoverished. Man, I love how you put that because it is so true. The narrative of poverty, right? Think about today and how we're inundated with information and how, uh, you know, people are being led simply by uh, 
the information in which they receive each and every day. And, and your point is such a valid point because who controls the information? Who controls that conversation? And, and how is that conversation being disseminated throughout our culture, right? Um, I mean, that's so important because it's not poor people. <laughs> right poor people are not they don't get to tell yeah. you what's up exactly and, and see that's why this show is so important because we're going to hear from poor people today we're going to hear from the the, the disinfected we're going to hear from the people that are struggling day to day to put food on their table we're going to hear from people that don't have uh as we would say proper health care we're going to hear from 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 uh parents talk about uh the impact of poverty on their kids. I'm here to tell you, and, and you're right, that narrative, if that narrative got out, if that narrative drove the conversation, oh man, we would have different different public policy when it comes to poverty. But the problem is the people that are making public policy, oh, they got, man, they eating steaks. Mm-hmm. Lobsters. Lobsters, man. Scr- As we say in the hood, scrimps. Scrimps. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. No doubt. They don't feel, you know, I oftentimes laugh, man, when Chris Rock talked about, you know, how can you how can you ever uh, understand uh, a crackhead if you never smoke crack? You know, how can, <laughs> you know, he goes into this. How can you understand, you know, being poor if you never been broke? <laughs> <laughs> It's, you know, it's funny, right? right. <laughs> it's a routine, but it's so true because if you if you never come through, you know, dire situations, it's really hard to identify with those that are in it. Not even to mention, uh, you know, those who uh, have come out of it, but somehow have disdain for those that are in it. Folks, listen, uh, we're going to pay some bills right quick. We got to take a break. But uh, this, I, listen, this is a dynamic show. And I just want to put a plug in. If you didn't listen to our last show about Chicago, the violence is only a symptom. Man, you need to get into that. You need it, it's, it's a it, it's a deep, but you're going to learn something. It's an educational, I think, piece, as well as the one before it, Unity. Man, Unity was off the chain. Mike, mm-hmm. we're doing the one mic, one voice show. Okay. It's off the chain, you know. What I mean? You know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> no, but no, seriously, like you said, man. Look, check out our shows, man. This is about you know helping us all grow in conversation and in life and in, in whatever it is that we feel is important to us. So check it out. Um, note down some takeaways and man, talk to us about what you learned. That's right. Share it with us, folks. We're gonna take a break. We'll be right back. What's up, guys? I am Leah Marie, owner of The Selfie Gods. Make sure you head over to our website, www.theselfiegods.com, and order your very own selfie moon. Uh, if you need that good lighting whenever you out in the club or you out hanging out with your friends and you need some more light for your selfies, uh, that's definitely what you want to get, the selfie moon. This is Tiffany Hill, host of Authentic Conversations, a weekly motivational podcast where we discuss matters such as self-worth, relationships, 
parenting, professional development, physical, emotional, and spiritual health. You can find me on Facebook at Authentic Conversations by Tiffany Hill, on social media at TH underscore Authentic, and you can also subscribe to Authentic Conversations on iTunes and Podbeans, and the show is also available on blackandstudios.com. I look forward to connecting with you, and remember, to live authentically is the ultimate form of happiness. Welcome back. Welcome back to the One Mic, One Voice show. Title today, The True Face of Poverty. So, Mike, live on our discussion board on our One Mic, One Voice uh, private Facebook page, which you need to get invited to because it's, it's really going down on the, <laughs> on the One Mic, One Voice Facebook page. Uh, but it says, uh, so we got the question out there is, you know, we'll be discussing poverty and initial thoughts or perspectives on this topic. A friend of mine, Evan Beal, says, how much of poverty in America is the result of a sh- of the shrinking middle class? Post-World War II, a man could work in a factory and comfortably pay his car note, mortgage, and afford the needs of his family on an average wage. These days, the cost of just living is hyperinflated, which I believe has contributed to the rise in poverty. I see the same thing here in South Africa. There's pretty much no middle class at all, simply people that, that have and those who do not. Mm, interesting. Uh, now he is presently in in Africa. Yeah. Okay. But he, he was he was born and raised here. Okay. 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 Well, he brings out some 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 interesting points that I've made some notes of. Um, this sort of post World War II. I mean, I, I again, I, I think he is um, he's right, but there's like another another aspect of post World War II, right? Um, Mm -hmm. you know, when you talk about the demographics, right? So yeah, on the surface, it looks like people were doing well. If you dive through the numbers, we're talking factory jobs. Blacks were not allowed to join unions. Blacks, if they did get hired, were paid lower wages. And also those, that was a time of the migrations from the South to the North and uh, blacks were seen as rivals to jobs. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, in a sense, you know, there was this growing middle class. But I would argue that minorities didn't really take part in that. Right. Uh, because if you think about it, why would we have a civil rights uh, kind of uh, crusade? Uh, shortly after that however uh and i mean and and he says post world war ii so you could even go up until you know uh the 70s and 80s because that's all post right um i, I agree the loss of the middle class is huge right um the shrinking of the middle class um i think is is uh a a systemic problem uh, and he talks about uh the uh, cost of living this inflation uh which is true uh and and i would say you have to you have to make an argument then as dr king did against capitalism right Mm. because capitalism is a free market and you you less you know this argument of less regulations and and uh individuals being able to um, make as much money as they can, regardless of the impact it has on others. So you got corporations not paying any taxes, right? Uh, so you so you have all these things, right? But that's capitalism. That of course, 
uh, it's it's going to, you know, you're going to have this growth, this inflation that takes place, further dividing the haves from the have nots. The factories, man, I, you know, that's that's uh, that's nostalgia, mm-hmm. right? Uh, looking back and saying, you know, uh, America, you were doing great when you had all these factories <laughs> and you were producing all your own goods. However, um, that world is gone. Mm-hmm. But okay. there are people who still believe that coal is coming back. Oh man, come on! Going to open back up the coal mines. Yeah, baby. yeah, yeah, yeah. Get that I mean, coal yeah, money, yeah, right, yeah, baby. yeah. Get that, and that's that's a dangerous job. It's a difficult job. We're in a service economy, folks. Talk about and, environmental um, determinism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, this service economy that we are in. Uh, it's a service, it's a technology economy. Those jobs are not coming back. And when 45 says they're coming back, he's only lying with you. That's why his materials are all made overseas. His ties, his suits, and all of that are made overseas because he can pay uh, next to nothing to get those manufactured. Now, but hey, I love that comment though. Hmm. That he was right on. I mean, I again, I you know, uh, he can make some counter arguments to what I said. I, I love, I love his comment because uh, there's there's a lot of truism in what what he stated. Folks, keep your comments coming. We want to hear from you. Uh, but the the face of, of poverty, folks. We want you to listen to this um, this next uh, audio coming up. Uh, we want to get deeper and deeper into it. But let, let's let's go on the inside. Can we go on the inside, DT? Let's go on the inside. Let's go on the inside. <laughs> Say hello to Jackson, a citizen of the wealthiest country the world has ever known. And yet, he's clothed in handouts. His parents can't find work. Say hi. They have no home of their own. And every morning, they come to the Manor House Charity where the poor of Baltimore meet for a little food, warmth, and compassion. What is your message to President Trump? Come and help us. Instead of critiquing, critiquing us, come help us. And you will see that we, are, this is, we need help. Bad. Like much of America, this is a story of two worlds. Baltimore is actually something of a boomtown these days. But it doesn't feel like it in many parts of the city. In this economy, there is no trickle-down. Gun crime is surging here. Baltimore was even more violent than Chicago last year, driven by gang turf wars. For some of its residents, this is a city where selling your body or selling drugs is the only job available. If you want to know what poverty in America looks like, well, this is it. Incredibly, this entire block here is pretty much made up of dilapidated, abandoned houses. Incredibly, some people are still living in between this, though. Under President Obama, poverty grew in America, and President Trump says he's going to fix it. He's going to deal with what he calls the carnage in America of crime, of drugs, of gangs, of violence, and of poverty. Well, there are a few places better to try and do that, than Baltimore. Marcus Alsop has lived here for 40 years. He repairs the city's homes, an eyewitness to the worst Baltimore has to offer. The poor living are in the single houses, the row houses in Baltimore City, where they're generally rat infested, regardless of what you do as a, a person living there. Roaches, mice, I mean, an epidemic in bed bugs, I mean, the neighborhoods are falling apart, not because the people are bad people. We're underpaid, undereducated, 
And so many of us have been living like this for the second and third generation until we don't even know how to change. Despair is a way of living. And this is where it resides, on a bleak row of abandoned homes. This is the end of the line for Americans gripped by poverty. Here, we met the last family living on the block. Three generations of the Stewart family are crammed in here. They're months behind on the rent. Unpaid bills are piling up. Not surprising when they have just $30 a day to survive. I love you. Be careful. Have a good day. They've been evicted before, forced to live in one of Baltimore's many abandoned homes. It hurts. It hurts. They have to stay wrapped up in blankets every day because they're cold. They don't want to get out of bed because there's no heat to keep them warm. Uh, people talk about us. They get bullied in school because of it. It hurts. The day got to where they didn't even want to show their faces outside. But we had no choice but to live there because of the economy. I've been struggling for seven years. Seven hard years. What pressure does that put on your relationship? Together? Oh, we argue and fight all the time. All the time. I love this woman to death. She's my best friend. But to see her go through the things she goes through, that's, it hurts me. It hurts me. For so many people, this is no longer a land of opportunity. Hope has given way to despair. And the children who clamour for charity handouts have no American dream. It will be perhaps the greatest challenge for the new president. Ian Panel, BBC News, Baltimore. That's, that's here. That's yeah. the United States. In the US of A. Baltimore. Land Baltimore. of opportunity. You know, here, and, and to, 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 and, we, and we're watching the video, folks. I want to say, you know, for our Patreon listeners um, that are listening live, and uh, we, we post our show notes. And so you can follow right along with the show. We have our links there. Uh, you'll know what's coming up. <laughs> Mike has it all beautifully outlined. <laughs> you'll know what's coming up before we get to it, but you can read. Uh, you can actually look at the videos instead of listen to the videos. So that's why it's so important to become a Patreon member. And uh, simply, if you want to do that, you can just go to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash one mic, one voice. And, uh, and, and get advanced materials. But the anguish that, that I saw in that father's face, in his voice. DT, this video was black, white. Mm -hmm. We're talking about the true face of poverty. Um, Man, I don't. You know, kind of going back to our, our last episode, we talked about Chicago. Some of those same uh, feelings are, are, are present. Especially when, when I heard the guy say that, you know, the spirit is kind of the way of life around here. Mm. You know, and by definition, the spirit is what the absence of hope. As we've seen with the Chicago community, they also felt hopeless or like their backs were against the wall, that they could not somehow come out of that situation, mm -hmm. making it a habit. 
uh, what do we do? Where do we go? How do we fix this? We don't know. Yeah. This is just how it is, and this is the way it has been. On uh, that last segment uh, that they talked about, three generations living under one household, and all mm. of them were poverty-stricken. Wow. And so as as somebody at the head of that household not having the resources for that family to navigate themselves away from it, what does that leave the ones that are coming behind them? Mm-hmm. You're right. I mean, and, and it's and it's it's like becomes a way of life, right? He said you don't even know anything there are patterns, different. Patterns in it. Absolutely, absolutely. We got a comment here. A um, couple comments from our listeners. Uh, sends one sends in a quote by uh, Aristotle, which says, "Poverty is the parent of revolution and crime." Hmm. That's deep. <laughs> the parent of revolution and crime. And there's another one from someone that works with kids that uh, got this note from this 14-year-old boy that read this. Being poor, this is a 14-year-old boy. Being poor is like being punched in the face every day over and over and over. I am tired of fighting back. How can I ever get out? I need help. Please tell me how I can get out. And what's the kid's problem? He doesn't have a job, right? Doesn't have a means to support himself. Uh, it's, it's just like when we were kids, man, you better not come with no no cheap shoes, the wrong shirt on. <laughs> I mean, these these things yeah, that we, yeah. we thought were important. You know, we're talking about being bullies, you know, like, yeah. man, <clears throat> look at your haircut. Look at your shoes. Yeah. Look at your shirt. Look at, you know, and it's not like those kids had control over those mm-hmm. situations, but we didn't know as kids that, you know, most of our communities were blighted by that type of yeah. uh, language and and uh, kind of putting each other mm-hmm. down mm-hmm. as a, as a means to show your own rank or your own uh, social class. Mm-hmm. No, you're 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 exactly right, DT. In 1996, President at that time Bill Clinton signed into law the Personal Responsibility and Work Opportunity Recovery Act. Clinton said in a speech. That and, and we have this speech uh, on the outline and we we're not going to go into it. But he talked about how he was going to change welfare forever. And um, I don't I, I can't judge the man's heart, can't judge his character, can't do that. I don't know what his intentions were, but it did change that welfare system. It dismantled it and it destroyed it and it punished the people. Clinton's like so many others saw poverty as a personal responsibility problem that only if you would work a little harder, only if you had a better attitude, only if you would um, pull yourself up, lack of a better phrase from your own bootstraps, you would do better. But this act here, DT, it put, Imposed requirements, work requirements, when folks couldn't get jobs on people that were getting Medicaid. Uh, it called for drug testing people who were collecting unemployment. How would you like to get fired from your job? Right. And they say, no, nah, we can't help you out because uh, we're going to drug. Te-. Man, I, I I lost my job man. I'm not a drug head. <laughs> right. Okay, and it prevented people who had food stamps from buying stuff like steak and lobster. So you can't even eat 
you know, like the next man. So, so what we see here, this narrative, right, DT, that you talked about, this narrative of poverty, right, is to demonize the poor. It is a language that not only speaks ill of them, but kicks them why they are down. It's almost like um, for you to be impoverished, you're, that's like your punishment, too. Mm. And so how dare you try and eat something uh, we would consider, you know, uh, a specialty. Or, that's only good for people that are working. Yeah. <laughs> that's only good for people that are paying taxes. That's only good for people that own homes. That's only good for people that drive nice cars. You, you poor people, how dare you eat steak? But we also talk about the uh, the weapon of choice for the wealthy people, right? Mm. Exclusion. Yeah. So that's another thing, food. You don't have access to uh, nutrition in your neighborhood or shouldn't be able to uh, get you and your family a nice meal if you consider yourself uh, impoverished or poor. You better get it back in the, in the noodle aisle. Absolutely. You better get yeah. off that steak aisle. <laughs> because you, you better get you a top ramen. Man, and, and and that, okay, so that was, we went, we, we talked about uh, this environmental determinism, okay, early on, how it justifies certain things. We heard from the inside, right? Now we went to the political level and we talked about this initiative by, this bipartisan initiative that was signed into um, signed into law by, at that time, President Clinton, even with Ronald Reagan, when Ronald Reagan talked about the welfare, welfare queen. We're not going to go into that. You can look that up. But that's a whole nother attack on um, those who are impoverished. But I want to look, look at something that Paul Ryan said, the uh, Speaker of the House, uh, when it comes to poverty. Take a listen, folks. Paul Ryan went on uh, the Gamblers Anonymous program. No, I'm sorry. (laughs) It was the William Bennett show. I'm sorry. He went on the William Bennett show um, to continue not just his war on the war on poverty, but really his war on poor people. And let me make the distinction there. The war on war on poverty implies that Paul Ryan has a better way to fight poverty. Right? That I do. Uh, the war on people is uh, the war on 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 the poor or poor people is Paul Ryan's other really sort of main agenda that is embraced by the Republican Party. And that is to say that poverty exists Because of the people who are poor. We have a segment of the population that has misguided values, that does things wrong, they're untalented, they don't want to get out of poverty, and then he takes the next step. And it's in fact our war on poverty, those policies which actually enable those people and what we should be doing to those people to those people is inflicting upon them a regime that even though they don't want to get out of poverty it will it will make them want to and here is how he says it when he's on the william bennett show 
pay. But I mean, a, a boy has to see a man working, doesn't he? Or... Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And so that's 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 this tailspin or spiral that we're looking at in our communities. You know, your your buddy Charles Murray or or Bob Putnam over at Harvard, th- those guys have written books on this. Pause it. <laughs> You should know that uh, Murray, his book basically said, I mean, I think fair to sum up, white people are smarter than black people. I mean, and Putnam said our civic associations are falling apart because of changing nature of society. They're like completely different arguments in books. Continue. As he said, great books. Which is we have got this tailspin of culture in our inner cities in particular of men not working and just generations of men not even thinking about working or learning the value and the culture of work. And so there's Pause a it. real... Okay, so they're not even thinking about working. They don't, uh, they don't value work, right? That's why they're poor. Culture problem here that has to be dealt with. Everybody's got to get involved. So this is what we talk about when we talk about civil society. If you're driving from the suburb, you know, to the sports arena downtown by these blighted neighborhoods, you can't just say, "I'm paying my taxes." Government's going to fix that. You need to get involved. You need yeah. to get involved yourself, whether through a good mentor program or some religious charity, whatever it is, to make a difference. And that's how we help resuscitate our culture. Now, yeah. you know, the thing about Paul Ryan is he's not very bright. And so even when he was telling that made-up story about the kid with the sandwich, he can never, he seems to conflate a lot of things here. But on one hand, he's saying, look, we've got a culture in the inner city. And this is well-founded. Google Martin Gillens. Read his 1999, his 96 studies on uh, people's relationship uh, perception of welfare, who's on welfare. Uh, Go back and um, read the literature on what happened to the perception of welfare from, let's say, the Great Depression when people had no problem helping out that that agrarian farmer who, white farmer, who had come upon hard times. We can help that guy out. But in the 1960s, you start to see, both in the minds of black and white people for that matter, studies have shown that welfare recipients are black and they live in the inner city. So whether or not he's trying to, um, to activate the lizard brains of the right wingers on race, he is, and he's also showing his own ignorance now, he's not talking about the poverty in West Virginia and the, the Appalachians. Or, There's a lizard in our brain, dude. And, but the point here is... I did not is, read about that in Charles Murray's <laughs> book, bro. The, the point is... The point is, though, he is, um, he's got this mentality that it's culture. Some group, some just group of, of people's culture that prevents them from taking themselves out of poverty because they don't even want to work. They even think about working. And they happen to live in the inner city. And, you know, the best way to reach them is maybe is probably through your church. We have to go in there and teach them. Unbelievable. 
we have to go in there and teach them. That's the the majority report. Sam, a Seder or Cedar, uh, talking directly about a quote from Paul Ryan, the Speaker of the House. DT, let me tell you what stood out to me, and we're going to take a break here just in a minute. But let me tell you what stuck out to me. This idea that black men don't want to work, they don't know the value of work or the culture of work. And when Paul Ryan talks about, he talks about driving past these stadiums. What Paul Ryan doesn't tell you, he talks about these blighted communities. What he doesn't tell you is that uh, most of these communities are by downtown, right? And most of these communities used to be black communities that were destroyed by urban renewal. And they split the black community by bringing a freeway through it, no matter whether you're in Wisconsin or Chicago or in uh, New Orleans. Um, The government created these blighted communities. We got a podcast on that. Who created the ghetto? Go back and look at it. But this idea that somehow this, okay, this doesn't this tie into environmental determinism Mm -hmm. right it's inherent in us right black people became the face of poverty what are your thoughts Uh, i I have a lot of issues with with paul ryan's statements i mean like you a lot of the stuff stuck out to me you know you know he called it a cultural problem i'm thinking whose culture he talking who created that culture um he talked about well in the first in the first segment they came out i was asking about you know is it is it important to see a a father working and paul Mm -hmm. ryan says yes well where are our fathers at you know have they been incarcerated generationally who's had a job and been able to hold a job down uh consecutively enough to see a man working in the home <clears throat> to a point where you don't see yourself in that situation uh even when we talk about poverty there are lots of uh in, in raising money for impoverished people and all of it the faces are black and that kind of paints a picture for people who don't even you know may not even associate a certain group of people obviously every everybody people are suffering everywhere but if you want to put a face on if you want to put a a a frame around it you know it's it's the black folks mostly Mm -hmm. who are who are being painted as impoverished people getting back to the narrative Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. so the narrative twists now right you know History, like, is you talks about this linear progression, right? And you look at one point to the next and how it is associated and how it coalesces together, right? So the narrative, right, uh, it, 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 it's always been the same, right? The, they're inherently lazy, not talented, um, this paternalistic view of looking at slaves, right? We know what's best for you. And now you come to the modern era, folk. This is this is something, he's the Speaker of the House, right? <laughs> but his views are archaic, right? They, they, they go back to this Jeffersonian view of uh, Africans and minorities. Um, we, 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 we're bringing this full circle here in a minute because remember the true face of poverty is what we're talking about here. Uh, 
DT, let's 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 go ahead and um, we're gonna break on out here for for just for a second. Again, Richard telling me got to pay some bills. So, uh, folks, hang in there, man. This this last pass last quarter of this show is gonna be dynamic. We're gonna blow your mind just it. here in a few seconds, folks. We'll be right back. This is Josh K. And I am Leah Marie. And when we listen to podcasts, we always listen to One Mic, One Voice. You can change the world, it's your choice. Your choice. This is DT of the One Mic, One Voice podcast. just want to let you guys know you can go over to iTunes and search us at One Mic, One Voice and be sure to rate and review our episodes. Let us know about any feedback that you have and what you enjoy about the episodes. Also, you can go over to Stitcher where you can get the latest and freshest episodes of our podcast. Stream directly to your smartphone or iPad. No downloading or syncing. How cool. Real smooth. Also, we'd just like to take the time to thank you for your time and for your energy and for spending time with us as we discuss the historical record of our time. Welcome back, folks. Back up in this thing. Now, uh, what I, I want to make a statement, and then we're going to play a short clip here, and then we're going to get to some statistics, and then we're going to get to some solutions. That's the best part. Go ahead and roll it uh, for us there, Richard. Of our story. In this great expanse live 150 million people for whom this land must provide food. Yes, 150 million people who must be supplied with food every day, 365 days a year. The first food stamp program ran from 1939 to 1943 as America emerged from the Great Depression. Food stamps weren't reinstated until the 1960s. And this administration today, here and now, declares unconditional war on poverty in America. In 1964, President Lyndon Johnson signed the Food Stamp Act, making food assistance a permanent government service. Originally, food stamps were just that. Stamps that one would buy with cash to receive food at a discounted price. It wasn't until 1977 that people below the poverty line were actually given food stamps without a required purchase. Meanwhile, thanks to inventions like high fructose corn syrup and hydrogenated oils, food industry profits were growing rapidly, along with America's waistlines. In the decades that followed, obesity rates soared, with greater and greater percentages of Americans tipping the scales. The food industry increasingly targeted kids, with billions of advertising dollars for chemically processed foods bursting with sugar, fat, and artificial ingredients no kid could ever pronounce. 
With the rise and dominance of highly processed, cheap foods, suddenly food stamps could buy thousands of products with little or no nutritional value, but plenty of calories. A recent study found that in just two years, the price of most junk foods dropped by about 2%, while produce and healthy foods surged almost 20%. While we were having fun on our food stamp adventure, Actually, being in a situation where you have to apply for food assistance is no laughing matter. Do you consider yourself homeless? As of right now, yes. Do you have any income? Um, not at the moment. What we're trying to offer is application assistance so that people can at least have a better understanding on their eligibility before having to go through the process. Right now, I'm not getting any type of income. And and so I decided to try to get food stamps. I've been trying to look for a job, but there's no jobs out there right now that are hiring, and I was getting frustrated. I have a part-time job that doesn't pay very well, and it's barely covering my rent, and I don't have health insurance, and I have a chronic disease, so I can't get health insurance. And yeah, and I have a master's degree, and here I am, I'm applying for food stamps. It's just where I am right now, and I'm no different from anybody else that needs food stamps. This is a couple who are going through really difficult times right now. You know, I'm just uh, thankful that they brought an interpreter with them who was able to communicate their needs. In their household, do you know how many people live there? There are only two. Two people? There used to be three, yeah. But right now, two? Two. Okay. Do they have any income? No. Their son is the only one who was working, 28 years old. He committed suicide on the 10th of this month. He's the only one the one was breadwinner. Okay. Sorry. That was a very difficult case. Do they have any resources like bank accounts, checking or savings accounts? Mm -mm. Do they have a physical or mental condition that requires special health depression? Right. Okay. Wow, 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 wow. That's heavy. You know, um, they mentioned the cost of, of being able to afford to feed yourself, you know, for mm -hmm. a decent amount of money. Uh, we know that the cost, I mean, eating healthy is more expensive than eating junk food. Absolutely. Um, I mean, even, even uh, fast food restaurants play on impoverished people because mm -hmm. they can they can promote deals that sound good for people who don't make much money but can feed a whole family of five for five bucks oh absolutely you know, come on in and get her five for five deal yeah five, five for five five pieces of chicken five tenderloins five pork tops <laughs> for five bucks you know it's <laughs> like what is the nutritional value of, of absolutely. a meal that yeah have gone through all their mm -hmm. process and, mm -hmm. you know they packaged it for mm -hmm. you they they put in a nice sack for a nice box for you. They only charge you five dollars. I know what the, that's my and, 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 and I mean and 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 it's a hell of know, a deal. If if uh, again if you if you're a Patreon member, we cut this video short. This video actually goes into what DT is talking about. They go around with a white gentleman, and as his attempt to buy food with his with food stamps, and. You can see how he's buying ramen noodles, how he's buying some of these things that have n zero nutrition simply so that he can survive. Now, how many different races was represented in that video? 
man, black, mm. white, it's Latino, Indian, right? I mean, the true face, the true face of um, poverty are all people. Mm. It's a rainbow. It's a rainbow, DT. Um, let's look at some numbers here for a minute. Okay. Uh, when you talk about poverty in our country, white people, 195 million people, 17.8% are, 17.8 million are poor. Mm -hmm. 9.1% of the poverty rate. What about blacks? Uh, blacks represent 41.6 of Americans in uh, in this country, uh, making up 24% uh, of the poverty rate, that number being 10 million African Americans in poverty. Now, this is tricky, right? Because when you look at numbers, people tell you numbers don't lie, but they do. Mm -hmm. They do. And the way that you look at the numbers, it would, it would confuse you to think that um, – African Americans make up the largest percent of people in poverty. Now, by number, that may be true, considering the the small amount of us that are here. Absolutely. But in relation to the larger number of whites and non Hispanics, that's seventeen point eight million people. White people make up the largest poor population in this country. Remember, we talked about the narrative, right? The narrative is about black and brown people, lazy, not wanting a job. Not even thinking about a job. Not thinking about a job, <laughs> not valuing a job. But folks, they don't make up the largest percentage of, of people, of poor people. This, this, and, and, and this, this false narrative, DT, hurts white people, poor white people. Because they're not in the conversation, right? They're living out here oh, stealing oh, our jobs. We're going to get to let, let, let's Let's skip down here. We have Asians and we have Hispanics as well. Hispanics, 24% of the poverty rate. Asians, 11.4% of the poverty rate. But, 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 but look at this. Let's skip down here for a minute, DT. Let's look at where poverty is concentrated. This, again, is a false narrative. Look at this. If we look at cities, at cities, right, 13% of uh, the poverty rate is in metropolitan areas. What about in rural areas, outside metropolitan areas? Oh, that's about 16.7%. Oh, you mean that folks living <laughs> in rural areas are more poor than folks in the inner city? How could that be? Interesting, right? See, that narrative does not, it doesn't feed well with, with the bottom eaters of certain political groups, right? If you talk about the rural areas being poor and crime infested and this and that, that narrative doesn't really work. But if you can talk about black people, right? Because historically, right? Let's get back to environmental determinism. Historically, they have been stigmatized with being lazy. Okay. 
with poor attitudes, irresponsible individuals. That play that rallies your base, boy, because you know what? I, I've heard I've man, I've gotten arguments with countless white men about I pay my taxes and I'm tired of paying for people that don't want to work. And I think it's much more complicated than that. And matter of fact, uh takeaway from this show is your tax dollars is going to pay for more people that look like you than look like me. Mm-hmm. Is the reality. Let's talk about families when it comes to poverty. If you're a married couple, less poverty, folks. Uh, 5.4% of the poverty rate. The highest, of course, is single mothers. Mm. 28.2%. Um, single fathers, 14.9%. Family makes a difference. Two incomes makes a difference. The other thing is this idea of we saw or we heard, we saw, you heard on the video, the 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 the, the white uh, lady talked about, I got a master's degree mm-hmm. and I can barely make it, okay? Um, there is a percentage. That is a reality, people. 4.5% of c- college degree or higher live in poverty, Okay. But then if you go all the way up, look at some college, 9.6, high school diploma, 12.9. And if you ain't got a high school diploma, this is where we talk about education, mm-hmm. DT, 30.6% of the population is in poverty. So, Mike, how do we, how do we begin to break this down and, and talking about solutions? Well, we're gonna get to, we gonna, we gonna get there. Let me just give this last one here when we talk about because this is an immigration kind of idea that people are coming here, they're still in our jobs, they're doing so much better than we are. I'm in the rural area, and how how dare these these Mexicans, these Puerto Ricans, all of these people coming over here taking our jobs? But you find here that those that are not a citizen have the highest concentration rate of poverty, right? okay? If you're a citizen, you're almost half that. Mm -hmm. You're at 11%, right? Because you got a better chance, right? You got a better chance. Undocumented, you're living in poverty, right? Switch places with them and see how you like it. And a native-born, they're 13.1%. So let's talk about some solutions here, DT, because we're about to get out here. I want to say... And and we got down here, a change in perception will change the conversation, right? We talked about the narrative being. The narrative, man. Mm-hmm. We have to start talking about the true face of poverty, mm-hmm. right? It ain't black people, or I should say just black people. Mm-hmm. What we've shown today on One Might, One Voice, it, it ain't Pookie's fault. What we've talked about on One Might, One Voice today is the fact that poverty Guess what, folks? Touches us all, regardless of your race, your age, your education, where you live at, whether it's metropolitan area, whether it's rural. It is touching us all. That's the narrative. Stop letting people tell you that it's the inner cities. Stop letting people tell you that it's just, like he said, in Appalachian Mountains. No, this is a 
problem throughout this country, DT, change the conversation, right? Also, deal with hunger. Deal with hunger. Children make up the largest percent of people impoverished in America. And so, like you said, child hunger is definitely something to be addressed. Uh, we got kids living out of cars, people homeless, um, hungry, mm. not enough food in the, in the uh, community pantries. 33.3% of the poor population is children. That's amazing. Our kids, DT, black, white, Asian, Latino, 30.3, are poor kids, man. Now, what is, how does that, and you deal with this, right? How, how does that affect a child that comes to school hungry? Oh, everything's off. I mean, how can I focus on my schoolwork and they had no, no food to eat that morning? Or maybe the night before. Or maybe when I get to school, that's my only time to eat. I eat when I want to, and I can tell you honestly, when I go too long without eating, man, don't nothing work. I will keep it real. You get hangry? Man, I, I got man, my head start hurting. That's why they call it hungry anger. Hangry. Get a little hangry. Get a little hangry. <laughs> 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 but, man, it's so sad, man. In 2014, 15.5 million children were in poverty. 15.5 million. I didn't make a mistake on that number, folks. Over 15 million? And we're trying to teach them. We're trying to raise them to be productive, to be engaged in this society when we can't provide them with a damn meal, let alone health coverage. We live in the richest country in the world. Man, make me want to get some slang shots. <laughs> Put down that slang shot. Some slang shots. We got to feed our kids, man. There's no other way around it. We need resources that are, no child in this country should ever go hungry. I've been at some venues, man, where it's been so much food, it's ridiculous. Mm. And we got kids going hungry, folks. Solution? Look in your own neighborhood. Feed the kids that's in your own neighborhood. Feed the kids that's in your own community. We can solve this, man. Folks don't have to go hungry. What else, DT? Education. Education. Wow. Talk about that for a minute. You know, like um, education kind of break down a lot of of different um, layers of it. But the first thing, uh, I mean, even graduating high school, I mean, that's that's an important part of of the basic thing to do in trying to get out of an impoverished situation. Uh, Completing your high school diploma, we see uh, numerous of individuals, uh, families, generations who have waited uh, 30, 40, sometimes, you know, 50 years old to get their high school diploma or GED or some type of equivalent. And not doing those things early on put you behind the curve, put you behind the race because everything else is, is moving forward and there are things that you need to understand to be able to navigate uh, smoothly that, that 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 basic level of education will provide you an opportunity to do. Uh, 
especially if you're looking to get, you know, any type of advancement and some job that you may start. Uh, don't believe the hype about, you know, it, it all being a, a scheme or, you know, there's some kind of conspiracy that is blocking you from understanding or getting the information that you need to be successful. There's a huge, huge economic potential for people who live here in America. Mm-hmm. Um don't listen to it. You know, you can make things happen, and it may be excruciatingly painful for you to get started, but the benefits are will please you. know, they'll be worth it. Trust me. Absolutely. DT, to validate your point, without a high school diploma, 30.6%, uh, you fall into that category of the population in poverty. Just by getting a house high school diploma, 12.9%. That's that's more than half, right? You give your just by getting a high school diploma, folks, we move people farther away from poverty. When you look at the high school graduation rate nowadays, which was a rite of passage when I was growing up, Man, I don't even think I know anybody that didn't graduate from high school. I'm just gonna keep it real. I don't. I mean, I mean, it was like, dude, if you didn't graduate from high school when I was growing up, man, you that was one of the most embarrassing things that could ever happen to you. You were wow. real stupid then. You were dumb, mental, huh? As you, as you, you were mental. Listen, I'm here to tell you, man. Why are people not graduating from high school, man? Okay, I'm not. I'm not gonna even, man, because you know what? That just that just makes me sick to realize, man, that we have we have students that cannot make it through high school, basic education, right? We will solve a great deal of the poverty if we get people to graduate from high school. Now, opportunity, opportunity, and I'm gonna give you these because we got to get up out of here, folks. We could go on with this opportunity. Um, we got to solve that. That's when we change the narrative and we start looking at people differently. We don't demonize poor people. We understand that everyone should have the opportunity to excel in our society. Right. You say, well, what can I do about that? You working? If you're working, you see what's going on at your job. Maybe you're a supervisor. What can you do about it? You can help move folks up the ladder. Maybe you're a mentor. What can you do about it? Open up some doors for an individual. You can do a whole lot of things about it, right? That's moving people out of poverty. You give them opportunity. And I, man, we we talked about this last week. Living wage, folks. We got to fight for a living wage. Now we're talking about policy, right? Not a minimum wage. What's a minimum wage? Barely getting by. We need a living wage, right? Folks need to be have pride in what they do and what they have and who they are. You don't give them crumbs from the master's table, huh? And this last thing we need to all also combat is this thing called systemic racism. Mm. This and now we're going full circle. We're going way back to this environmental determination, determination. right? Way back there, where systemic racism is based upon that is based upon a superior race over an inferior race right we have laws that govern and support systemic racism 
So when we look at these solutions, there's some things we can do personally. We can change the conversation. We can feed our kids. Definitely you can feed them in your own neighborhood, right? We can make sure that, that, that folks are graduating, at least from high school. These opportunity things, you can do some of that on your own yourself, right? I didn't help plenty of people. I'm not patting myself on the back, but I didn't help plenty of people. I didn't wrote letters of recommendation. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't been uh, references for people. I got one partner. I didn't get, helped him get so many jobs. He ought to be paying me. <laughs> he a talented brother, though. Seriously, he and that brother probably be president here in a minute. But these things with living wage and systemic racism, folks, these are things that we need to battle out in the political realm. Uh, you can do that too. So, for, hey, hey, DT, we didn't just give them the problem. <laughs> gave them solution. We gave them solution, and that's what it's about. I mean, we we can talk ourselves to our to our end, but at the same time, uh, it's it's our effort that moves things forward. It's our putting our feet to the fire and and getting things done. Man, I I I hear somebody say after party. Ain't nothing but an after party. Did somebody say after party? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard somebody <laughs> say after party. Folks, we going to the after party. <laughs> Will yeah. you be there? We want you to be there because it's about to get a little crazy talking about poverty. We about to go unscripted. Yeah, Mike Mike, Mike goes in. And, you know, I'm dressed up today, party. too. <laughs> huh? Man, you usually you mention that, huh? I got Did my you? gear on today. Yeah, you do. You know, and it's such a it's such a, a norm for me now. I mean, I know, I know when it's game day, whenever your team is playing – you come fully decked out. Man, tell folks who playing today. Uh, let me see. The Oklahoma City Thunder. They played yesterday. I think the Badgers are. Oh Wisconsin. yeah, yeah, yeah. And what we playing for? What is like a the Big Ten Championship? Oh, that's what it is. Oh yeah, that's what it is. I thought this I thought is a pickup game. I'm oh sorry. no, 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 no. This for all the marbles, folks. <laughs> Listen, we going to the after party, uh, 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 and uh, you know, the takeaways is. Everyone's the face of, of poverty. Uh, there's no one distinct group. Um, we have personal responsibility in solving this problem, even on our the level that we we sit and exist right now. Um, as difficult as the problems may be in the past, the present, or even moving forward. We must always realize that history will speak of us. Somewhere in the distant future, Scribe will reach down deep into the archives of our time. And what will she find? Will she discover that we overcame our differences? Will she find that out of many, we became one? Or will she find that we solved nothing and remain of the divided peoples? Yes. History will speak of us. We can make a difference if we try We can be the change that's in our life All we gotta do is work together We gotta raise our children better We gotta stop the hate, stop the hate And spread the love One mic, one voice You can change the world, it's your choice One mic one voice, you can change the world, it's your choice. One, one mic, one voice, you can change the world, it's your choice. One, one mic, one voice, you can change the world, it's your choice. Your choice.
Today's broadcast is being brought to you by Blacken Studios. To learn more about Blacken Studios, please visit them at blackenstudios.com or visit them on their Facebook page, Blacken Studios. Today's broadcast is also being brought to you by Perry Publishing and Broadcasting. To learn more about Perry Publishing and Broadcasting, please visit their website at perrypublishingandbroadcasting.net. The opinions of the One Might One Voice show do not reflect the views of Blacken Studios or Perry Publishing and Broadcasting. Thank you for downloading the One Might One Voice show.